My dad was a physician and uh, long since retired. I have to remind him of that every now and then. Um, anyway, one time, many, many years ago, he was telling me about a conference he went to. And, you know, he's with all other doctors, you know, so a gathering of, of doctors from across the, the United States in this one place. And so he's with his colleagues, he's with his peers. And so he, he told me this story, he said he went up to uh, somebody he had, was meeting for the very first time, and he said, hi, my name's Howard Philston. And the man said to him, I am Dr. Jones. <laughs> Dr. Jones, I mean, we all know you're a doctor, okay? I mean, we're at a doctor's convention. You know, if you have to tell somebody you're important, it's probably because you're not. It's just like if you have to tell somebody you're nice, you know, right? When people were in the presence of God, he didn't have to tell them. When people walked into the presence of God, you know, even, even to be in the presence of an angel is, is to be in the presence of God. You know, when, when angel Gabriel is speaking, he's, he's reminding the people to whom he's speaking, that he is standing in God's presence. And so, and so here is a, a theophany or a, a, a picture of, of God, God presenting himself through a messenger. And people's reaction, when, when Isaiah, so we're, we're keying off of Isaiah's nine passage, Isaiah 9, of these four different views of God. And when, when, uh, when Isaiah is in the presence of God, he, what does he say? He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He realizes who he is in contrast to the presence of God. When Peter, when Peter realizes that, that Jesus isn't just a great teacher, this is somebody who can speak to creation and things happen. It's a complete paradigm shift. And, and he gets, I mean, I, I, I picture sort of that, that triggering of the fight or flight. The, it, the adrenaline hits his bloodstream and he's just, whoa, get me out of here or get away from me, Lord. He's essentially sort of repeating what, what Isaiah is saying. I'm a man of unclean lips. When people are in the presence of God, They know it, and God does not have to say how important he is. The gravitas is there. The weight of his presence is there. And so, you know, last week we talked about relating to God, God with us in terms of being a wonderful counselor, and that's all warm and fuzzy, but how do we relate to the mighty God? How do we relate to a mighty God? Let's take a look. At uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says to the Romans, uh, to the uh, Corinthians, to the Colossians. I'll get it right. Third third time's a charm. Third time. Colossians, the church at Colossae. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image. Think of that. Image of the invisible God. The firstborn of creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, draw near to us as God with us. Help us to understand how we are to relate. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple years ago, um, the Filson family went on a western trip, and one of the places we went was Yellowstone. And we went to, you know, there are three famous falls in, in Yellowstone, in the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, and one of them is just simply called the Lower Falls. And it is a massive uh, cataract with a huge, huge volume of water flowing through that every day. And you walk down these stairs, way, 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 way down, just going down, almost like going down 20 flights, down these stairs to the midpoint of these falls. And there is just this this, uh, thunder, this thunderous vibration in the staircase and in your chest. As, as the water is just pouring over this. And there is there's something comforting being next to something that's created, something that's so massive and so bigger, so, so much bigger than you are. And to stand close to the shadow of the mountain, to stand close to the thundering waterfall, there's something powerful and comforting about it. And so with that image, let's, let's take a look at, at how God is with us, even as mighty God. Even though Moses had to veil his face after he came down from, from Mount Sinai because the glory of God would have been shattering to the people to look at even the reflection, the glory of God on the face of Moses coming down from Sinai, the glory of God would have been shattering to the people of God. And even so, the mighty God would be with us. He would be our Emmanuel this Christmas. Let's consider, how is the mighty God with us? How can we relate to a mighty God? First, we we do relate to him through his creation, just as I mentioned the waterfall. We relate to the mighty God through its creation. If, If we don't just think about what it is to us, if we understand what it really is and not just what it is to us, creation speaks. Let me say that again. Creation speaks if we hear it, not just for what it is to us, but what it is. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Night after night, they pour forth speech. They speak to us. Creation 
is God's general revelation to us. Creation speaks. If we're not just trying to listen to it for what it is to us. Let me illustrate. There's a... There's an old Native American story. A, a Native American is walking along with a friend in New York City, and, and they're walking along through Central Park, and uh, you know there's a hustle and bustle of crowds, and, and, uh, and the Native American said to, says to his friend, do you hear that cricket? And his friend says, of course I don't hear that cricket. Are you kidding me? I don't hear a cricket. I can't hear anything but all the, the noise of the crowds and the, the cars in the background and... You know, what are you talking about? And he says, no, I hear a cricket. And Native American walks about 50 feet over to this planter that's on the steps of the staircase. And he goes down and he looks in there and he pulls out this little cricket. Little, small cricket. His friend is amazed. So they're walking, they stroll a little further and the Native American pulls some change out of his pocket and just kind of casts it behind him and it goes ding 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 and it wasn't lost on his friend that everybody in that area turned to look <laughs> hearing that ch- little bit of change falling on the pathway what are your, your ears tuned to so often we think of of this world because we're so impressed with our own technology and our own advancements. We only look at creation in, in terms of what it is to us, and we reduce it down. We reduce it to this just this utility, and we we miss the drama and the beauty of creation. Chesterton said that the, that artists paint apples gold so that we will connect again when with with a time when we were amazed with. The red apple, the green apple. Artists and poets have to talk to us beyond the utility of creation to help us to see the beauty that fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat his sounding joy. To be able to hear and to see creation for what it is and not just what it is to us. All things were created through Christ. And so what's he saying? He's saying here that, that everything is a reflection of God. Even, even though this is a broken and fallen world, even though the world has been shattered by sin and that, that the fallenness of man reflects on all creation, it still echoes It's creator's name. And that if we listen for what it really is, we can see and we can hear the beauty of the creator, that all things were created through him and for him, and so they reflect his glory. If our ears are tuned to hear creation, to see creation for what it is and not just for what it is to us. The mighty God. The beauty and the drama and the power of a mighty God can be present with us through his creation, also through his Christ. God is present with us through the word made flesh. And that word is captured through the witnesses in this book. 
that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, which means not, not that he was the firstborn as in uh, that he was one of the created things, but that word is an idiom. It means that what we consider to be the rights and privileges of the firstborn in, in, in an age where birth order was so important. It meant everything in terms of inheritance. That Jesus as firstborn of all creation means he is preeminent. That all things were created, created for him, by him, through him. So we can't confuse him as one of those things. And so God speaks to us through his word, through his Christ, if we don't just think of Christ as who he is for us, but who he really is. Do you see the theme now? Creation, not just for its utility, what it is to us or for us, but what it is in its beauty and its drama and its power. Christ, not just for who he is to us and how he helps us and how he is savior to us, but as Lord, who he is when we understand and can hear. Jesus says repeatedly that those who have ears, let them hear. The mighty God is present with us through his word when we understand it for what it is and who it is. And not just what it is to us. As just some, well, I look at it and you see a butterfly and you see the space shuttle Columbia and I see, you know, I I see a dog. You know, it's what it is and not just what it is to us. We have to have our ears tuned to the word of God for what it is. You know, this idea that, that there is no objective truth or meaning through words, through language, through, through, uh, through ideas. That there's only interpretations. You know, the, 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 the modern, modern sensibilities have been chipping away at the idea of objective truth, chip by chip by chip by chip. And the authority of the word of God in our lives can die by a thousand razor nicks. If we don't recognize that the way that people talk about meaning is flawed, deeply flawed in our modern cultures in the West. Let me give you an example. Uh, C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory talks about a waterfall. He's referring back to what was called the Green Book. It was a a, a book of grammar. It was a grammar book, uh, most common throughout uh, the West, particularly in Great Britain, um, in uh, in the early 1900s. And the Green Book was supposed to teach grammar, but what he's pointing out is that that these these grammarians, uh, Gaius and Titius, strayed from being grammarians to becoming philosophers by speaking about a waterfall. And so what they say is is that one man may look at a waterfall and say, my, isn't it pretty? And somebody else might look at the waterfall and say, sublime. It's sublime. There's something transcendent about the waterfall. And see, Gaius and Titius, uh, these grammarians who wrote the Green Book, they said, you know, it's not what the waterfall is, it's just what it is 
to the person who's regarding the waterfall. It's just how the person feels about it. It's not what it really is. And here, C.S. Lewis is showing the pernicious, subtle shift from objective truth to relative truth, where things are only subjective, where there is no real sublime waterfall, there is no experience that's transcendent or even that's shared. There's only what is it to me that's meaningful. Well, if that's true, there is no meaning. You see, Jesus speaks just by who he is. A guy named Oppenheim, you've probably heard of Oppenheim Funds, he said this, he said, the best way to send a message is to wrap it in a person. And all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And so when we have ears tuned, when we have ears to hear who Jesus really is and not just who he is to us. You see, evangelicals, we stray in this a lot. We're, we're so bent on making sure that we have a subjective experience with Jesus that sometimes we neglect to see that who Jesus really is is the mighty God. That he is not just Savior. He's not just this, this, this warm, fuzzy baby, this idea of a, of a warm, fuzzy picture of a baby coming and, 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 in a stable and, and this, this nostalgic feeling of Christmas. But, but what we're talking about is the God who created all things visited the planet. That God who created all things, as Shakespeare said, in, in the form of a question, he said, what is the, what's the pinnacle of all creation? It's a human being. And he asked this question, what is this quintessence of dust? It's a rhetorical question. It's to say, wow, mysterious it is that in this huge, vast, cold universe, there is a human being. And God, at the pinnacle of his creation, spoke his life into a human being. Jesus. And so when we're talking about the story of Christmas, we're not just talking about a good story. We're talking about reality fully coming into the form of a person. His message, his word wrapped in a person. Don't miss, don't miss who Jesus is by a lifetime of just saying, who are you going to be to me, oh God. How do you feel about it when someone just relates to you or they only want you to relate to them just in in terms of their own agenda? How does that seem to you? Does that seem right? Do you really get to know the person when you're only thinking of how they are and who they are to you and what you want them to do for you? You see, what God makes possible is for us to experience him as the mighty God. He spoke into creation. His fullness was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. And so let's, let's not give him faint praise. Certainly not just as a good teacher. He called people out on that. And don't give him faint praise as just your Savior. Jesus is Lord. All the fullness of God was... There isn't a, uh, in other words, there isn't another God behind the back of Jesus somewhere. What God wants to say to us, what he wants to reveal to us about himself, he reveals fully in the person of Christ. 
Jesus is God with us. And so when we're spending time learning about who he is and how we're to follow him, we are in the presence, we are pursuing the presence of the mighty God. And so be careful when you catch up to him. (laughs) Don't try to grab the tiger by the tail. And so God can dwell with us as the mighty God through his creation. He can dwell with us as the mighty God through his Christ. And he can dwell with us as the mighty God through his church. You say, Tim, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, we're, we're, kind, of, uh, we're kind of a mess. Um, I mean, you know... When we look at what people are saying about the church, I have to admit, Tim, that a lot of what they're saying about the church is right. I mean, there's some mean people sometimes in the church, and people have had bad experiences, and how, how is it that, you know, we've got to be careful about saying that the church is, is really representative of God. Well, Paul doesn't mince words here. He says, Christ is the head of his body, which is the church. Another word for head is source. Christ is the source of the church. There is no church apart from Christ. You see? And so we don't need to back away in our apologies for some bad behavior within the church to say that the church is somehow less than. We need to understand that the church is fully vested with the authority of God through the authority of the word. See, our life together is based on Christ's headship over us. And so when these officers that are giving their testimony, they're bearing witness to the faith, they're being vested, vested people with authority over us in terms of our life together. Now see, the problem is that a lot of times what we think of is we just think we're concerned about that idea. We're concerned about authority being human. And so we, 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 we sort of give the church faint praise and we miss the power of God through the church and we say the church has its place. You know, on Sundays when George isn't playing Auburn. I, I had to throw that in, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Y'all, y'all love me anyway. The church has its place. You see, we chip away, we chip away, we chip away. The church has its place just like tennis. Tennis has its place, right? See, it's our attitude towards the church that begins to diminish the power of the mighty God in and through and present with us. God says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Do you appreciate what's being said there? Do you feel the weight of the responsibility of being called out as the church? You say, Tim, I, I'm a flawed person. I mean, I, I, I cannot represent that way. I have no gravitas like that. Let me tell you a quick story about O Holy Night. This, this song, this great song that, that has become sort of a, a Christmas crescendo of late, O Holy Night. Do you know it was written by a guy who, who barely ever came to church? Did you know that? A guy that uh, a priest called out, he said... He, 
he said, uh, he said, would you write a poem? You know, I, you're, you're known very well for, for, for your poetry, and I wonder if you would write a Christmas carol for me. Would you write a Christmas song? And he said, sure, yeah, I'd love to. Um, he was French. His name is Placide Candide. And he wrote this poem, and he wrote it on this train ride up to see this, uh, this priest. He wrote it, and he was so moved by it that he called a Jewish friend of his to set it to music. And so here's a guy who was a limping Christian, right? More identifying with socialism than he was with Christianity. A limping Christian who called a Jewish friend of of his who didn't even believe Jesus was the Messiah to write the melody for this poem, which has become a favorite. Did you know the background? Isn't it fun to, to hear the background of some of these hymns? And you say, Tim, I, I'm, just, I'm just a limping Christian myself. Well, look at how God often uses us despite ourselves. You see? The church is an outward sign of God's inward presence in each one of us. Don't miss the power of the community of faith that is the church. Don't think of it as just some mere institution. There is a vision for the church that is to be the power, the gravitas of the present mighty God with us. And we're called to walk in his ways that they would know, that people who are far from him would know. He has not wound up the universe and stepped back as the mighty God. We're not deists just thinking that God is far off, but that he's present in his creation. You say, Tim, I'd love to believe that, but I still don't feel up to the challenge. Well, who does? Who does? Even one one man uh, whose name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's probably the 20th century's most heroic Christian. Jim Elliott. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, martyrs for the faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor in Germany during Nazi Germany, imprisoned for his stance against Hitler. Even even a spy uh, bent on assassinating Hitler, right? That'll make you look at pastors a little differently, wouldn't wouldn't it? (laughs) Here he is imprisoned for his faith. And people, people are inspired by him. Inspired by him, just like Paul, imprisoned for his faith, writing these kinds of letters, like this one to the church at Colossae or the one at, at Philippi. He's writing from prison. They're inspired by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And even he feels less than at times. He says this. This is a poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my wardens freely and friendly and clearly as though they were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore my days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. 
Am I really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself? Restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressed around my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of greater events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, Thou knowest, O God, I am thine. I know y'all come in to this place, especially in a season. Of Christmas looking for some some glimpse of God I know many of you are in patterns that really stink and you feel ashamed to come into here and you think people can see you what you really are. I know many of you are struggling. I know many of you are frustrated that we're not more free and expressive in our worship and in our celebration of who God is. I know many of you are half-hearted in your commitment. But I'm here to remind you today you belong to the king. That even though you may shuffle and get flustered in a table prayer in your home, that you wonder how there's such a deep disconnect between the way you run your business and the way you conduct yourself on Sunday, even though, even though, you can't even begin to wrap your mind around the difference between a wonderful counselor and a mighty God. You belong to him. And so this morning and in this Christmas season, I want to invite you again to reflect not on so much on whose you are, but who he really is. 
who he is as the mighty God, your mighty God. Spend some time this month, this Christmas, considering just who he is and not just who he is to you.